Hey there, and welcome to the Pseudo Show, brought to you by the Destination Linux Network. Today, we'll take a look back at organizations that we've been a part of over the course of our careers. We look at how they migrated their entire workflows to open source. We discuss some lessons learned, stop by the productivity corner, all that and more on the Pseudo Show. Welcome to the Pseudo Show, your home for all things enterprise open source. I'm Eric, the IT guy, and joining me every episode is my industrious co-host, Brandon Johnson. How are you doing today, buddy? Doing all right, Eric. Just uh, doing all the work things, and hopefully we're going to have a good Q4 and keeping everything moving along. How about yourself? Yeah, can you believe it's already halfway through October? It's insane. <laughs> <laughs> also, most most years I'd I'd be wishing for time to to slow down, but I think this year we'll we'll all be ready to see January first come around. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's definitely been a busy week. You can tell it's uh, you can tell it's the the beginning of a new quarter. Uh, I've pulled three late nighters out of the last four nights. I think I've got presentations and workshops just about ready for a couple of customer visits. Well, remote visits anyway. Uh, I've been editing a couple of episodes of this show. I mean, we just launched an extra episode last week. And then uh, Brandon and I have actually hosted a couple of brainstorming sessions coming up with upcoming content, both for the show and for uh, for Front Page Linux. It's been really rewarding. Uh, it's, it's been a good week, but man, I, I am I am more ready than ever for the weekend. We at The Pseudo Show are excited to announce a new sponsor, DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. Get started on DigitalOcean for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. DigitalOcean is optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and even more. DigitalOcean recently announced new features and services such as Virtual Private Cloud, VPC, in all regions free of charge. This lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads. You can get all this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 a month. Get started on DigitalOcean for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. You can use that $100 credit for spinning up over a dozen droplets or even some monster-sized droplets for two months. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with that $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. Thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Pseudo Show. In recent news, Red Hat and Lenovo have been working together. Uh, Lenovo's partnered with Fedora as well. And of course, we have amazing products coming out of System76 and Pine64. And, and so Brandon and I were having a conversation the other day about what enterprise desktop management looks like these days, especially in a world where Microsoft is moving more towards services and, and Mac and Google have, have been pushing their presence more and more into the enterprise desktop space. So we wanted to bring you all to the meat of the conversation. How does an open source minded company handle the desktop? Just for some background, I had a very small role in one of the largest corporate migrations from Windows to Linux 15 years ago. It was a ton of fun to watch happen and participate in. Today, we're going to do a retrospective on the process and the technology used at the time and talk about the tools available today that weren't available 15 years ago and how that would have made a corporate migration easier or even just adding Linux desktops as a viable option for any organization. I think it goes without saying that there is a lot of risk associated with migrating to Linux and open source, especially in a space like the desktop that's been dominated by proprietary solutions for such a long time. One example that springs to mind is the city of Munich. They tried a time or two to migrate to Linux and been largely unsuccessful. I wouldn't necessarily was unsuccessful. I mean, they did deploy Linux 
throughout the city, a very large municipality. I would actually describe that it was successful, but they ended up with a management that decided that they wanted to go back to Microsoft for various pieces. Linux is still in use in Munich. I I wouldn't say it was completely unsuccessful. And I know that they've gone back and forth a couple of times over the years, but I I think something that could have really helped that transition be successful and for the city of Munich itself, the the government itself, to really thrive on the process more so would have been not trying not to bite off more than they could chew. Because at one point they they tried like forking Debian, I think it was. They built their own Linux distribution. It was right. yeah, that that is not a good way of approaching it. But building your own Linux distribution with your own patching processes that are outside of the you know mainstream Linux distributions, I think is a terrible idea. <laughs> well, maybe maybe the uh, maybe the leadership of of uh, Munich just wanted to say, oh, by the way, I run Arch. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you, you and I were talking the other day, and and that's that's actually how the pseudo show came about. Is we just said, hey, we have these conversations. Why not why not record them from time to time? One of the ideas that you and I were batting back and forth is how would you, Brandon, get started with such a massive project? As I go through this, we'll be doing the retrospective as well. But for a typical office worker, you know, they need access to their to their groupware suite or PIM suite. You know, so that's their email and their calendar. They need an office suite and access to the core corporate applications, which are usually web applications such as their enterprise resource management system, CRM, intranet. When I worked on the migration 15 years ago, web applications didn't work correctly on Linux because so many pieces of software that we were using at at the time, like expense reporting and HR software, required Internet Explorer 6. In those instances, we utilized crossover office to run Internet Explorer 6 on Linux. So our end users had access to those applications without dual booting. You know, I was I was a desktop support technician during the final years of, of IE6. I can't tell you the number of issues we had with, with web apps, even ones that were supposedly designed for IE6. Come to think of it, that was one of the first real exposure I had to an open source project was there was this other thing, you had Internet Exploder, and then you had this other thing called Firefox that didn't seem to have as many issues. In fact, I don't know if you remember this, Brandon, but back then, Firefox actually had an add-on that was called OpenNIE or something along those lines. It basically opened up the Internet Explorer engine within a tab of Firefox so you could get some of the IE functionality in Firefox. So that maybe 80% of your web apps work natively in Firefox, and that might help get you the other 10 and so then you'd have, you know, Internet Explorer for the last 10%. But it was it was a mess. Yeah. Sadly, that plugin only worked on Windows. So we couldn't utilize that. And virtualization, for the most part, was still fairly new. It's like virtualizing a Windows desktop just didn't make sense. So Wine or Crossover was actually probably, I think, the best option at the time. Nowadays, thanks to web standards like HTML5, and everyone moving away from building web applications for a specific browser. Most organizations are building specific to the Blink Engine or WebKit. But for the most part, web applications just work in Firefox and Chrome or in Edge or whatever browser you choose to use. 
unfortunately with my career, it was probably about six or seven years in, if not longer, before I was even allowed to use any any operating system other than Windows. Mm-hmm. Um, not even Mac OS X, to say nothing about using uh, using a, a Linux distribution. Yeah, I, I, I've been lucky. I mean, I've I've uh, been able to use Linux uh, as my full time operating system since I started my career. And also continuing to look back on this from an end user perspective, do I really felt like dual booting was a poor solution at this organization I was working for? The vast majority of users had two computers, a desktop at their desk and a laptop. Typically the desktop was running Linux and the laptop was running Windows. Now you had to get files from one machine to another. I get asked like when I talk about this is like, how did you do that back then? Yeah, you because know, typically it w- you would use SIFS or SambaShare to move your files around. I really think that's a terrible way of sharing files across teams and, and moving files between machines. <laughs> what gave you that idea? <laughs> <laughs> the process we had, this was ahead of its time. I actually think one of the reasons why the transli- transition to Linux was more or less successful uh, was to use file syncing. So when we think file syncing, second nature today to just go, oh, Dropbox on the proprietary side, and you have Nextcloud or C file on the Linux side. But back then, file syncing wasn't a common thing. Now, there was an open source project that we utilized called iFolder, which was a, a Novell project, which was an open source cross-platform file syncing tool. We basically had Dropbox that was cross-platform that worked across Windows, Linux, and Mac. It made collaboration between users easier regardless of their OS and end users' files were seamlessly synced between their desktop machine and their laptop. And when they were issued a new computer, all they had to do was log into iFolder and all their files were synced back to their laptop. I started my career as an intern as a desktop support technician, and I can remember, especially on the on the Windows side, back in 2006, 2007, uh, utilizing Norton Ghost to create a base image for the municipality that I worked in, then writing clunky scripts to try to usually unsuccessfully install any applications an end user might need. Then it was just a matter of using roaming profiles and Active Directory integration to drag all of their data from the old system to the new. But no matter how much we tweaked these these images, no matter how many scripts we wrote, it was always a slow, tedious process. And, and without spotless documentation between administrators and, and the desktop support team, it was always prone to errors. <laughs> Not to mention users couldn't always be counted on to make sure their files were in their profile instead of on the C drive. So how would you handle remote management and support in an open source ecosystem? Because with Windows, it was pretty easy. I mean, you had remote desktop and, and you had some, I used an application like mRemote with, with folders and, mm-hmm. and encrypted passwords to try and speed up the, the administration process. But that RD, RDP isn't exactly common in, in an open source environment. So how would, you, how would you handle remote management today? Remote management, that's loaded term. So <laughs> I'm going to start with like application delivery and application management. And this was the same way when I was working at that organization 15 years ago. And today you deliver with Linux in the case that you know, we we're using SUSE back then. Today I'd probably do it with RHEL or Fedora. 
and delivery of packages using something like Uni or Foreman with Catello to deliver RPMs. Now, there are other applications that I might want to deliver, like web apps. So maybe a a profile that says, this is a web application, deploy a web application, like using maybe GNOME Web, web application capability, put and push that out, whether that's using an RPM or using desktop configuration management tools like Fleet Commander. Fleet Commander can do a really good job of managing the profile of what you want your GNOME desktop to look like for your entire organization. Another way I would have hand with that is a lot better than it used to be is Linux remote management. One of the things that we had implemented uh, 15 years ago was kind of like uh, the way the help desk would get to a remote worker into their laptop. We set up this kind of funky reverse SSH server. So we could SSH into their desktops, fix the problem. And for, as far as they were concerned, magic happened <laughs> and their computer started working. Well, while you were busy reverse SSHing into, into different remote workers, I was I was stuck with, with Windows automation, which basically didn't exist a, a little over a decade ago, at least on the desktop side. Uh, you know, PowerShell wasn't as uh, prolific as it as it is now on, on the Windows side, and of course there was wasn't really a standard packaging program. So you had MSIs and EXEs, and God forbid the uh, the occasional you know bat file that you had to run to to set up an application, and none of them ever kept their configuration files in the same place. And how many of us know what it's like to to open up the registry and just go, I'm going to tweak this one thing, and you know, run away scared when I hit submit just waiting for the thing to crash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what I came up in. So it, it's actually, as, a, as, as we're talking, I'm kind of thinking that I've kind of been obsessed with automation since I started in, in IT because nowadays I run Fedora on the desktop, Fedora on my laptop, I've got a MacBook in the closet that I, I power up about once a month to, to make sure it stays updated. Uh, some servers that are split between Fedora and RHEL. And I have a series of Ansible playbooks that basically set up the bulk of my profile, whether it's a headless server or, or a desktop, where I can install GNOME, I can download all my SSH keys, I can set my user password because I'm using Ansible Vault. Mm-hmm. Going from rough Windows scripting and, and Norton Ghost to now basically running most of my infrastructure through through Ansible, I mean, it's, it is, mm-hmm. it is night and day difference. Yeah, it is. I mean, and back then we didn't have Ansible. I had bash scripts. Nope. I had uh, uh, whatever I could get my hands on, you know, continuing on the, on the vein of remote support, the, there's some o- great open source remote support solutions. Like for example, I've uh, remotely, it's currently mostly in maintenance mode, but whenever I go on and look on the GitHub page, I still see the developer tweaking it. Because I think it's uh, just one of those things like I'm just not, can't step away from it, right? So it's uh, for the most part being developed and it runs on top of Linux or on Windows and you can uh, remote to a Linux desktop machine uh, with, uh, or it kind kind of, uh, the way it's implemented reminds me of TeamViewer. So Mm -hmm. it's uh, really easy to use for support personnel. Uh, as well as for the end users. And that's what I would definitely use for remote support today than setting up some weird reverse SSH 
<laughs> whatever it was. I don't remember exactly how it was implemented, but it was crazy. And then, and this goes back uh, to file syncing. Today, how I think file syncing software is now so ubiquitous, you cannot not have it. It's really important, but it, we also have other devices that we didn't really have back then. Like back then I had a Palm Trio <laughs> and I really couldn't get my get file mm-hmm. syncing uh, on a Palm Trio. But today on my iPhone and on my Android phone and on my Pine phone, I want to get access to my files from a file syncing perspective. But C file is my personal favorite. It reminds me of iFolder. I was a huge fan of iFolder. I used it until even after the project was well abandoned until I discovered C file and replace it with C file. And it integrates with web-based office suites like LibreOffice Online, OnlyOffice, even Microsoft Office. So if you need to use Microsoft Office Online, uh, C file will integrate with that. Obviously there's also NextCloud and it's probably the most popular, but it isn't my favorite from a file syncing standpoint. And I also feel like it does too much in one solution and it doesn't do its core thing well Mm. enough. I know you and I have differing uh, differing opinions on Nextcloud. I mean, for me, being a, a longtime Mac user uh, before coming full time to Linux, I liked Nextcloud because one, it worked under Mac OS, but it also almost a one to one replacement for for iCloud. I could put my contacts, my my files, my uh, my calendar. I could put all of that into a Nextcloud server that I was hosting myself. I wasn't paying four ninety nine to to Apple every month just for the privilege of using their servers. You know, it, using Nextcloud was was a way for me to start to disentangle myself from from the world of proprietary applications. And the fact that things like C File and and LibreOffice are are cross platform really helps move that process along. Which brings up a good point. Do you think that companies would see more success moving from proprietary to open source if they started at the application layer and moved their way uh, down the stack versus doing a, a, a rip and replace? Actually, that's how we did it uh, 15 years ago. We replaced uh, Internet Explorer with Firefox. We replaced uh, Microsoft Office with, uh, at the time it was Open Office. We didn't need to replace the email client because the email client we were utilizing was cross-platform. It was really just changing out those two core applications to get end users to to adapt to the Linux workstations that were being put in front of them. Because you can't just dump all your Windows applications, right? Is either offering like a virtual desktop that's ephemeral. So every single time uh, you log into that Windows desktop and log out, it'll just revert to a clean state or a Windows application server and stream the applications to the Linux workstation using, um, I think it's called on Windows, it's called Remote App or use stuff like Citrix, ICA to, uh, it's now called Zen app Mm -hmm. to stream those Windows applications to your Linux workstation. It's like prime examples that are actually targeted for typical Linux workstation users, which are usually developers, system administrators, and solution architects is Microsoft Visio and maybe some other software from the Microsoft Office suite. Microsoft Visio, as much as I don't want to admit it, is the (laughs) premier diagramming software in our industry. Draw.io, or now called diagrams.net, is not as good as Visio. 
Uh, I use diagrams.net. I use LibreOffice Draw as a replacement for Microsoft Visio, but Microsoft Visio is a better solution. And that is a good way of getting software like Microsoft Visio to, and, uh, and the whole Microsoft Office suite for that matter, to Linux workstation users instead of using Wine or Crossover. You can still use Wine and Crossover for those uh, use cases. I still feel like running uh, Visio and, and Microsoft Office on its native platform is better and just virtualizing it and virtualizing the apps is, is a better solution. Kind of wanted to also expand on this and I'd like to get feedback from our audience, but first I'm going to ask Eric, what do you use for, for diagramming? I, I build network diagrams all the time. Some of the tools I use, I feel like I have one hand tied behind my back. You know, what, what do you use for this? It was actually you who suggested uh, diagrams.net. I'm looking forward to to the next round of customer presentations because I do have some network diagrams that I want to build because the last experience that I had was with Lucidchart and it ties into uh, into the G Suite. It worked well enough. It was it was easy enough to navigate, but it was just it was painful. It didn't have the flow. It didn't have the it didn't match my my vague memory of using Visio. Visio was an intuitive. Intuitive is the word I'm looking for. Visio had a very intuitive interface. If you think, "Hey, I need this kind of a this kind of a of a diagram," I just go here. Oh, look, there it is, right where I expected it to be. Lucidchart was much more. It was much bulkier of an application. I, I don't know how else to describe it. So I'm I'm actually looking forward to diagrams.net. We keep coming back back to the Office suite. It seems like a lot of a lot of ERP systems, a lot of internal applications that the business depends on for running the business itself, have all moved to web apps. Whether those are self-hosted or cloud-hosted, something like you know Salesforce. But we keep coming back to the Office suite. Would you agree that that is probably the biggest hang-up right now for users and being able to switch to an open-source solution? Because if you look at it, there's not there's not an equivalent to O365. There's not an equivalent to G Suite out there in the open-source space. At least not not to the same depth that those uh, those suites can can work together. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, 15 years ago, we were dealing with Open Office 1.0. Anyone that used OpenOffice back then knows that compatibility between Microsoft Office and OpenOffice was absolutely horrendous. <laughs> yeah, that's that's for sure. OpenOffice uh, Calc, the spreadsheet program, it, at least in 1.0, I don't remember if it brought support in 2.0, did not support pivot tables. Importing an Excel spreadsheet with pivot tables would just break. And if you're working with uh, people in finance that use things like pivot tables, OpenOffice back then was a complete non-starter. Feature set, you know, there's feature set gaps. Even today, there are feature set gaps. There are compatibility gaps between the proprietary uh, solutions like Microsoft Office and LibreOffice and only Office. If there's going to be any traction of Linux desktop in any business, LibreOffice needs to have perfect compatibility with Microsoft Office file formats, especially Word documents and presentations. Mm -hmm. Typically, I haven't I don't do too much in spreadsheets. At least not my spreadsheets aren't very complex, but those import perfectly. I deal with presentations daily. I deal with uh, with uh, word processing documents daily. 
getting a doc X file or a PowerPoint file is an exercise in frustration. To be honest, to preface, I haven't started using LibreOffice 7 yet, mm -hmm. which is supposed to have fantastic compatibility. Only Office claims to have the best compatibility, but I have ran into several issues with Only Office when getting uh, presentations from uh, colleagues that use Microsoft Office. I think we're going to get there. I think we're very close on that file compatibility. Like looking the, what, the way it was just five years ago, not even 10, 15 years ago, the improvement is significant and it's, and it's finally getting there. I got, I, I've been asked this, what about Microsoft Office Online? You know, Office 365, edit everything in the browser. Uh, just a funny story. I definitely thought that. I built a presentation in Office 365 about six months ago. I saved it, sent it to the person I was collaborating with via email, and they opened it up in Microsoft PowerPoint. I was local on their desktop. And guess what? Half the slides were in like all funky. It, it didn't, <laughs> it, even Microsoft Office Online doesn't work with Microsoft Office Suite that runs on your Mac or your Windows machine. It, it was still a struggle. So I, that, that even that's not a solution for us yet. <laughs> uh, unless Microsoft decides to release Microsoft Office for Linux or the compatibility just gets better. I think we're going to get there. And I think it, we're now to the point it is an and. Because at one point, Microsoft Office on Mac and Microsoft Office on, on Windows mm -hmm. didn't work very yep. well together. I remember this very well. But now they work perfectly mm -hmm. together. And as a result, Mac has become an and mm -hmm. in, in terms of deploying fleets of desktops. And I think Linux is going to get there as well. You alluded to something earlier that really struck me, and, and I'm, I'm glad we got the opportunity to kind of circle back to this. But one thing you, you mentioned was that being able to use Linux as a viable option, being able to use your choice of operating systems, whether that's Windows or Mac OS or, or just a Linux desktop, you know, being able to move to something like LibreOffice that can get you 80-90% of the way there, whereas the rest of your company is completely dependent upon services or web apps, at least gives you the opportunity to choose your own poison. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of corporate IT departments don't yet support Linux as, as an option, but as we're moving to these zero trust networks and as we're moving more and more towards web-powered applications everywhere you go, the underlying operating system means less and less. Do you think that's kind of accelerated the proliferation of the Linux desktop in the workplace? That's definitely a possibility. You know, I, I actually think that Linux can be an option the management systems are there. We have Fleet Commander. We have robust identity management with free IPA. And you can build do trust between your Active Directory systems. Linux even works well with Active Directory if you want to just interact directly with Active Directory. The remote support is better. I think Linux is a more secure, more productive operating system. That's just me. I've been working on Linux for 20 years. So <laughs> I, I really do think it is going to become more ubiquitous, not just among tech enthusiasts and people that are privacy conscious, but it is going to become an and in corporate. Well, there you have it, folks. A, a prediction right here out of the pseudo show. Brandon says that uh, Linux is, is going to take over the world. I love it. You're the Linux desktop. 
<laughs> oh gosh, no, 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 no. And on that, I think is a perfect time to transition over to the next segment. <laughs> there is something I have been struggling with lately, especially in the past few days where, where I've been pulling long, long days and, and working into the night. I, I, I'll just get so ingrained on a task or, or on my to-do list in general. We, we all know that I'm slightly obsessed with, with, my, uh, with my task tracker. And, and I'll jump from emails to meetings to planning my next blog post to working on a new workshop for a customer call. And, and next thing I know, it's, it's 2 p.m. I've missed lunch. I've ran out of water a couple of hours ago. You know, I'm my back's stiff because I haven't moved. Um, my my sit stand desk is like you know you know I I do stand. You you can you can use a stand function. <laughs> and to be honest, probably a little bit cranky after pulling you know nine to two o'clock without much of a break. I, I want to get your your feedback and, and and definitely the audience as well. How do you plan your day? How do you balance sprints of high productivity with making sure that you get breaks? I have been using a suite of applications for years that, that stopped being developed and they are being picked up again, which is fantastic. But the three applications I used to track my work, to help plan it, was Getting Things Gnome, which is a GNOME application that utilizes the getting things done methodology. I've been using that for years. And it had an integration with um, another GTK application called Hamster. That application stopped being developed, but its development's been picked back up again. And what that would do is track your time. So it'd say you'd say, track this task in GTG, it would track the task in Hamster until I told Hamster, stop tracking. And I know how long I spent on that task. And then another uh, application I use is the GNOME Pomodoro timer. Instead of doing 25-minute sprints, I, I've set it for 50 with a five-minute breaks and then with a one 30-minute break. I actually have it timed to my routine so I have lunch at that 30 minute break. Yeah, and and it depends on on what camp you follow. I mean, getting things done and inbox zero, you know, all these different concepts, the the Pomodoro technique, all all these concepts will work for different people. It's it's about finding what what works for you. I found that my attention span tends to drift, um, but there are definitely camps out there that say that you should work in 60-minute sprints or 90-minute sprints. It really depends on your own workflow. And, and as Brandon mentioned, there's the Pomodoro technique that, that I've used off and on and I've, I've had some success with. Over the next few weeks, I'd, I'm going to try this again and see if, see if it helps with my focus and see if it helps better utilize my day. So if you're unfamiliar, the basic technique of the Pomodoro is you pick a task or project you want to make progress on. You don't have to pick a task that you know you can complete, but just something that you want to move forward. At that point, you close out all of your other applications, silence your notifications. That's, that one's huge. And then you work on nothing but that task for 25 minutes. I mean, we can all sit down and do anything for 25 minutes, from watching a, a TV show on Netflix to you know, answering a string of emails. When that 25 minutes is up, you take a two to three minute break and you repeat. After four sprints, after four 25-minute segments with, with a two- to three-minute break, you take a longer break, and then you record the number of sprints in a notebook. The idea is you do, you do two of long segments in a day, and, and that's more or less your entire workday. And, and like I said, I've, I, found this, I found this helpful. It's some days with, with meeting schedules and, and customer calls, it just it doesn't work out. But it's, it's just about finding those processes that work, sticking to those habits, and making progress. 
you, you mentioned hamster and I've definitely been considering tracking my time on tasks. With hamster, it's partly out of habit, wanting to know where I'm spending my time. Exactly. So like when I was an independent contractor, I wanted to track my time so I could bill. That was one of the ways I did it. Just export that report, put it with the customer tag, put it in the invoice, send them the invoice. That's how I tracked my time. And it's just a habit that I've kept just so I know which customers I'm working on the most, where I'm spending the most time and which ones I need to refocus. Maybe I'm spending not enough time with a customer or too much. Yeah. I'm sticking with my applications that that I use. They're great applications and the development's been picked up again, which is fantastic. I'm very happy about uh, Hamster and GTG uh, being picked up again. We'll have a link in the show notes, of course, for for all these applications. My concern, though, is that uh, when you start using applications, they tend to go dormant. Maybe it's you. (laughs) Maybe you're the problem, Brandon. I know. I already talked about, you know, I talked about GTG going dormant, hamster going dormant, but they're being picked back up. It's, it's been a theme today. And then uh, iFolder died, and but that's not being picked back up. If if you have productivity tools that you're a fan of, whether it's whether it's software or productivity technique that you use that you find some success with, write into the show. Let us know. Send us a, a message on Twitter or in our Matrix channel. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Love to hear your tips. Love to hear your your software picks. Those tips and tricks might uh, might make it into the show because I, I I know Brandon and I love to try out new new software and when Brandon runs off all the developers for some of these projects again, he'll he'll need something to fall back on. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us today as always your feedback is welcome head on over to pseudo.show slash discuss if you'd like more of our content you can find it over at pseudo.show and on social media at pseudo show podcast you can catch more awesome content and a brand new website overhaul over at our network partners destination linux.network brandon anywhere else you want to send folks you can follow me on Twitter at dbrandonjohnson or my website open-tech.net. And you can follow me at ITGuyEric or on ITGuyEric.com. Remember, the pseudo show is your place for all things enterprise open source. Until next time.